Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Lockheed Martin Corporation first quarter 2019 earnings results conference call. At this point, all the participant lines are in a listen only mode. There will be an opportunity for your questions. Instructions will be given at that time. If you should require any assistance during the call, please press star zero, and operator will assist you offline. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. I'll turn the conference now to Mr. Greg Gardner, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Johnny. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to our first quarter 2019 earnings conference call. Joining me today on the call are Marilyn Houston, our Chairman, President, and Chief Executive Officer, and Ken Posenreid, our Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Statements made in today's call that are not historical fact are considered forward looking statements and are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of federal securities law. Actual results may differ materially from those projected in the forward looking statements. Please see today's press release and our SEC filings for a description of some of the factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from those in the forward looking statements. We have posted charts on our website today that we plan to address during the call to supplement our comments. Please access our website at www.lockheedmartin.com and click on the Investor Relations link to view and follow the charts. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Marilyn. Thanks, Craig. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today in our first quarter 2019 earnings call. As today's release illustrates, we had exceptionally strong results this quarter, financially, strategically, and operationally. These results reflect the quality of our workforce, the strength of the corporation, and the focus we all have on delivering value to our customers and stockholders. My thanks go e s to everyone in the company for their contributions in driving this outstanding performance. This performance from across the corporation 
and expectations for the remainder of 2019 enable us to increase our full-year outlook for sales, operating profit, earnings per share, and cash from operations. Our first quarter results and increased full-year outlook reflect the execution of our entire team as each of our four business areas was able to contribute to our improved financial outlook. Our backlog grew to a new record level, another sign of the strength provided by our broad portfolio of products and services. Kim will discuss our financial results in more detail, but I would like to begin by highlighting a few of the elements that drove our exceptional performance. Sales this quarter exceeded last year's first quarter by 23%, with each business area growing revenues significantly from the first quarter of 2018. The growth was led by missiles and fire control, as deliveries of tactical and strike weapons, particularly in our precision fires organization and our PAC-3 missiles, grew from last year. Our aeronautics business area also saw strong sales growth as we continued to increase production of our F-35 Joint Strike Fighter and delivered 26 aircraft this quarter compared to 14 in last year's first quarter. Our segment operating profit increased by more than 30% year-over-year as strong performance across the board contributed to the growth. Missiles and fire control experienced outstanding operational performance over multiple programs, which allowed them to complete the retirement of risk items planned for later in the year. And similarly in space, our government satellites team, producing the fifth and sixth spacecraft in the Advanced Extremely High Frequency Constellation, was able to complete crucial testing milestones ahead of schedule, as well as achieve program efficiencies to increase margins this quarter. These strong results in sales and earnings and our focus on maximizing cash returns also allowed us to increase our full-year outlook for cash from operations. Our team continues to drive growth and performance in all financial metrics with a portfolio of products, technologies, and services that are in great demand by our customers and continue to provide value to our stockholders. I'll touch on some significant performance milestones in just a moment, but I want to first highlight a few of the notable new business items that demonstrate the lasting importance and strength of our deep legacy portfolio. In aeronautics, our F-16 team received two notifications from the State Department of the approvals for F-16 foreign military sales to Morocco. The first is for the potential sale of 25 new F-16 Viper aircraft and related equipment with an estimated value of $3.8 billion. The second State Department approval will allow us to upgrade Morocco's existing 23 F-16 aircraft to the modernized Viper configuration. This opportunity has a total estimated value of nearly $1 billion, and once definitized, Morocco will be the fifth international customer to upgrade its legacy F-16 fleet to this enhanced version of the Fighting Falcon. These notifications, coupled with the recent announcements from Bahrain, Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Greece on planned future new F-16 aircraft production and upgrades, shows the enduring support of this venerable fourth-generation fighter. In missiles and fire control, we received a contract award for over $1.1 billion from the U.S. Army 
for Lot 14 of Guided Multiple Launch Rocket System Munitions and Associated Equipment. Demand for this program has increased significantly, both domestically and internationally, and we now anticipate that we will deliver nearly five times the number of rockets and launcher pods this year than we did just two years ago. Rotary and Mission Systems saw continued strong interest from several international customers this quarter. RMS received a $200 million award from the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force for development and integration of the Aegis weapon system on new Japanese ships. RMS has already delivered the Aegis combat system to four of Japan's Congo class and two of their Otago class destroyers, and we will now provide this capability for an additional two Otago ships, continuing a relationship that began over 30 years ago. RMS's Sikorsky line of business was awarded a contract from Poland to build four S-70Is, our international Blackhawk helicopter variant, for the country's Special Operations Forces missions. The award announced by the nation's prime minister at a signing ceremony inside the Sikorsky Production Center in southern Poland follows delivery of two S-70Is to the Polish National Police in November of last year and continues our 10 years of Sikorsky helicopter production in Poland. Keeping with Sikorsky, the State Department announced a potential $2.6 billion foreign military sale to India for 24 MH60R Seahawk helicopters. This Romeo version of the Black Hawk is the world's most advanced maritime helicopter and this contract, once definitized, will allow us to deliver unparalleled anti-submarine warfare and anti-surface weapon capabilities to the government of India. And in our space business area, the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense awarded us a contract worth approximately $3.6 billion to oversee the operation of the MOD's atomic weapons establishment sites for another three years. We are honored to continue to support the UK government's important mission as part of the AWE Management Limited Venture with our strong focus on security and safety. These announcements reflect the continued demand both domestically and internationally for our portfolio of products and services. Our legacy platforms remain vibrant and our focus on innovation and new technologies provides us with growth opportunities for the future. Moving briefly to the defense budget, the President submitted the FY20 presidential budget in March with a total defense request of $750 billion. Included in this request is $718 billion for DOD total funding, an increase of nearly 5% from the 2019 enacted appropriation level. The FY20 submission continues the focus on missile defense, nuclear, space, cyber, joint lethality, and intelligence capabilities in support of the national defense strategy. And we have demonstrated that our portfolio remains well aligned with these priorities. To achieve the funding objectives contained in the administration's request, Congress will ultimately need to pass legislation to raise the Budget Control Act ceilings, which are still in effect for discretionary defense spending in FY20 and FY21. We are encouraged by recent congressional support for raising the spending caps. However, we expect significant discussions to take place before the budget process will be finalized.
We have seen strong bipartisan support for national security initiatives and the recapitalization of our nation's armed forces over the past several budget cycles, as well as for our programs in general. And we are hopeful the fiscal year 20 process results in a similar outcome. Moving on, I would like to highlight several significant events that occurred across the corporation during the past quarter. Beginning with an update on our F-35 program, we saw several important milestones and accomplishments take place this quarter that spotlight the program's maturity and the continuing support we see from the international community. First, a truly significant event took place in February as the Department of the Navy declared Initial Operational Capability, or IOC, for its fleet of carrier variant F-35s, deeming the F-35Cs are ready for combat. Beginning with the U.S. Navy's receipt of its first F-35C test aircraft, the joint government and industry team embarked on a rigorous path to IOC, including participation by two carrier vessels, three squadrons, multiple sea trials, and significant logistics and support efforts which resulted in 10 F-35C jets from the Strike Fighter Squadron 147, the Argonauts, being declared ready for operations. Preparations can now begin for the first carrier deployment aboard the USS Carl Vinson, and this achievement will mark the first time in over half a century the U.S. Marine Corps, Navy, and Air Force will all be mission-ready and, ca and combat-capable with the same family of fighter jets a tremendous achievement for the entire F-35 team. Keeping with the Joint Strike Fighter, I was proud to attend the ceremony this January to celebrate the rollout of the first operational F-35A, or conventional takeoff and landing variant, for the Royal Netherlands Air Force, becoming the third overall plane to be delivered to the Dutch. The Netherlands has been an F-35 partner since the plane's inception and, continued to be, and continues to be a strong advocate for the program. The first two CTOL aircraft were delivered in 2013, and we are currently supporting operational testing, and this latest addition to the Dutch fleet will ferry to Luke Air Force Base to be used in pilot training. The Netherlands Air Force, with its plan to acquire 37 jets and its role as a sustainment hub in the European region, is a key partner in the F-35 community, and we are honored to help support their national security objectives. Moving to missiles and fire control, we were very pleased to see the first and second tranche of orders from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to procure our Terminal High Altitude Air Defense, or THAAD, Air and Missile Defense System. In March, we received the initial order for over $900 million for initial tooling and front-end procurement items. And on April 1st, just after our quarter close, we were awarded second order for approximately $2.5 billion to supply interceptors and equipment to support KSA and U.S. government bad batteries. These orders are the most recent actions following the U.S.-Saudi Arabian announcements in 2017 and support the beginning of the development and deployment of the seven planned Kingdom of Saudi Arabia bad battery installations. In rotary and mission systems, our Sikorsky team celebrated a key milestone with the first flight of the SB-1 Defiant helicopter, a revolutionary aircraft developed jointly by
by our Sikorsky organization and Boeing. The Defiant is designed to fly at twice the speed and with twice the range of conventional helicopters, taking advantage of our innovative X2 technology and coaxial rotor blade design. The SB-1 is currently participating in the U.S. Army's Joint Multiple Role Technology Demonstrator Program, helping define the requirements for medium lift utility helicopters for the Army's future vertical lift program. I'll close with our space business area, which received an order for over $800 million from the U.S. Navy to design, develop, build, and integrate technologies to support the flight test demonstration of a new hypersonic boost glide weapon system. Lockheed Martin Space was awarded the Navy's conventional prompt strike weapons contract and will provide flight articles and support equipment for the system's flight test. This order follows three previous awards the corporation has received on hypersonic weapons, the tactical boost glide contract, the hypersonic conventional strike weapon or hacksaw program, and the air-launched rapid response weapon or arrow program. These wins are being performed in three of our four business areas with the cumulative value of our hypersonic strike weapon awards now exceeding $2.5 billion across the corporation. Air and missile defense and hypersonic weapons are key priorities of the Department of Defense's National Defense Strategy and Missile Defense Review, and we look forward to continuing to lead the development of these emerging technologies in support of the customer's missions. With that, I'll turn the call over to Ken. Thanks, Marilyn, and good morning, everyone. As I highlight our key financial accomplishments, please follow along with the web charts that we've included with our earnings release today. So let's begin with chart three and an overview of our results for the quarter. Sales and segment operating profit were both higher than our expectations for the quarter, which also, which also drove additional cash. We returned over $900 million to our stockholders in the quarter, nearly two-thirds through dividends and one-third in share repurchases. We also achieved another quarter of record backlog totaling $133.5 billion. And based on the strong first quarter results, we have increased our outlook for sales, segment operating profit, earnings per share, and cash from operations for the year. We had a tremendous start to the year, and we will discuss these metrics in more depth on the upcoming charts. On chart four, we compare our sales and segment operating profit in the first quarter of this year with last year's first quarter results. I'll note for comparison purposes that each quarter of this year has 13 weeks in the accounting period, while last year's first quarter had 12 weeks. This will reverse itself in the third quarter, which last year had 14 weeks in the accounting period. However, even without the extra week in the first quarter, our results well exceeded our expectations. Sales grew 23% compared with the same quarter last year to $14.3 billion, while segment operating profit increased 31% over last year's level to $1.7 billion. On chart five, we show the sales growth for first quarter by business area as compared to last year's first quarter. All the business areas experienced double-digit growth. Aeronautics and missiles and fire control experienced the highest growth in the quarter with 27% and 40% respectively. Aeronautics sales growth was driven primarily by F-35 production and sustainment volume, while missiles and fire control was driven by multiple programs, including precision fires, 
PAC-3, THAAD, and hypersonics. Rotary Emission Systems had 17% growth with contributions from all lines of business. Space also had strong growth of 13% driven by government satellite programs and new starts including next-gen OPIR. On chart six, we compare segment operating profit by business area in first quarter 2019 versus our results in first quarter 2018. Segment operating profit was up considerably in the quarter compared with last year's results. Here, missiles and fire control had the largest increase in operating profit, 60% higher than last year. This increase reflects volume related to the sales I just discussed and the timing of risk retirements across the tactical and integrated air and missile defense portfolios. Aeronautics grew its operating profit by 23% due to higher volume on F-35 production contracts and risk retirements. RMS grew operating profit by 22% due to higher volume on mission systems at Sikorsky and risk retirements at IWSS, and this was slightly offset by a reserve taken on a ground-based radar program. And space also increased operating profit by 27%, mainly due to risk retirements on AEHF and volume on government satellite programs. Turning to chart seven, we'll discuss our earnings per share in the quarter. Our EPS of $5.99 was 49% higher than our results last year, driven by a few items. First, the higher segment operating profit that I just discussed. In addition, it reflects the benefit of a lower tax rate that includes additional tax deductions for the foreign-derived intangible income, or FIDI, that we highlighted as an opportunity in the fourth quarter of 2018. I will talk more about this on a later slide. Lastly, a one-time non-cash earnings benefit from a property sale that had previously occurred. Turning to chart eight, we'll discuss the cash return to our shareholders in the quarter. Subtracting out our capital expenditures from approximately $1.7 billion of cash from operations in the quarter, our free cash flow was approximately $1.4 billion. We returned nearly 70% of our free cash flow to our stockholders in the quarter between share repurchases and dividends. As I mentioned, we are increasing our full year cash from operations outlook from greater than or equal to $7.4 billion to greater than or equal to $7.5 billion now that we have greater visibility into the year and a quarter of strong performance. We are on track for our continued investment in the business through capital expenditures of $1.7 billion planned for the year, which as usual is proportionately higher in the second half of the year. For the full year, we are progressing toward our cash deployment goals. Chart nine provides our updated guidance for the year. We are increasing our sales outlook by $1 billion based on higher expectations for all of our business areas for the rest of the year. We are increasing our segment operating profit outlook by $100 million due to higher sales volume across all four business areas. There is no change to our net FAS-CAS adjustment. We are increasing earnings per share expectations by 90 cents. I will provide more detail into this increase on the next chart. And for cash from operations, we are increasing our outlook by $100 million to greater than or equal to $7.5 billion. Chart 10 provides a reconciliation of our current and prior earnings per share outlook for the year. Our segment operating profit improvement drives a 27 cent increase in our EPS. 
Updates to our revised estimated effective tax rate from approximately 17.5% to 15.5% for the year, along with miscellaneous items, drive a 50 cent addition in EPS. The property sale from a prior period that was noted in our press release adds 13 cents, resulting in a total increase of 90 cents and a new EPS outlook of greater than $20, with a range of $20.05 to $20.35. On chart 11, we show our revised sales outlook by business area. As I discussed on a prior chart, we increased our sales outlook in all of our business areas. An increase of $425 million in missiles and fire control, $225 million in RMS, $200 million in aeronautics, and in space, $150 million for a total increase of $1 billion above the outlook we provided on our last call. Chart 12 provides the updated segment operating profit outlook by business area. And consistent with our sales outlook, each business segment increased their operating profit for the year. Missiles and fire control by $40 million, $25 million each for RMS and space, and $10 million for aeronautics, totaling to an increase of $100 million above last quarter's outlook. And finally, on chart 13, we have our summary. We're off to a very good start in 2019 with strong financial performance across our portfolio. We continue to see strength in our current level of our backlog as well as our future growth prospects across the entire portfolio. And based on the results of the quarter, we increased our full year outlook for sales, segment operating profit, earnings per share, and cash from operations. And with that, we're ready for your questions. John? Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. You'll hear a tone indicating you've been placed in the queue. If your question gets answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Again, star 1 if you have a question. First one line of a Rob Spingarn with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Good morning, Marilyn, Ken, and Greg. Good morning. Um, Good morning. You know, even without the extra week, I think your sales growth of, was about 14%, the highest in 15 years by our uh, records. And um, I wanted to drill down a bit, if I could, into MFC, which seems to be the growth leader. Um, and though it may have had the easiest comp of the year in this first quarter, you know, I think you're targeting 15% for the year, highest among the segments. So, um, Marilyn, you and Ken called out a bunch of programs that are driving that strength. But there's some of these wins are very recent, probably aren't in there yet, like Saudi Thad. And I think there's a bunch of opportunity coming up with the Army. There's a new PAC-3 interceptor, uh, PRSM, the mobile medium-range missile, among others. How do we think about MFC's growth with all of that opportunity and what you've recently run? How long, how, how sustainable is this beyond this year? Hey, Rob, good morning. It's Ken. I'll, I'll take that. So, um, you know, interesting question, Rob, and, and you know, the way, the way I'd answer it uh, is, you know, we've talked about our capital um, expenditures this year of a billion seven, which are up uh, quite a bit uh, from, from previous years, and, and we see that growth into, in the, into the future of uh, mainly next year. I, I'd say uh, a, a good chunk of that increase is due to our uh, – capacity build at missiles and fire control, and that's across the uh, portfolio for uh, the uh, strike, uh, strike weapons uh, business. 
And the key there is um, we've worked very closely with our customer set um, uh, in line with them when we were building out that capacity. So we see strong growth uh, in Hellfire, in JASM, uh, in IAMD, and from a PAC3 standpoint, we see strong growth. You mentioned Thad Saudi, so you, you are correct. We just booked that order. So uh, Marilyn mentioned we booked the front-end uh, obsolescence piece of that. In the second quarter, um, we'll book the intercepts, interceptors for, uh, for Saudi plus um, a lot, the a lot 11 uh, interceptors. In the third quarter, we should be booking, uh, second or third quarter, we should be booking the uh, localization work for Saudi Arabia. And then out in the 2021 time period, we'll book the uh, the rest of the interceptors, as Marilyn mentioned, the, the seven batteries. So at least in the next couple of years, we see strong growth uh, continuing at missiles and fire control. Our next question is from Seth Seifman with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, good morning and, and great quarter. Thank um, you. Thanks, Seth. Good. Just to, uh, to follow up maybe a little bit more on, on missiles and fire control, um, you know, we saw the strong profitability in the quarter, and, you know, we, we, when we look back in the period kind of, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, kind of seeing upper teens-type margins in that business, and I think our understanding was always that the mix toward new programs was going to push that into the, you know, 14, 15 range more in accord with your guide this year. But um, uh, it, it, Maybe if you could talk about the sustainability of the, the Q1 profitability and, you know, why we shouldn't think that that margin is going to be, um, you know, is significantly higher going forward. Seth, it's Ken. I'll take that. So if you look at the first quarter, we had a couple things going. So we did have um, a lion's share of our profit uh, step-ups, risk retirements occurring in the first quarter. But what also happened in the quarter, um, we looked at some of our risk retirements that were planned later in the year, and it actually did make sense for us to um, uh, take those steps in, in the first quarter. So if you look across the, the portfolio, um, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's apparent to us, based on the first quarter uh, uh, results, we did take our uh, – Outlook up for, from a profit standpoint for PAC three and that, and that's that is mainly driven by performance and volume. And looking at our tactical and strike missiles uh, uh, portfolio, some of that uh, growth uh, was for performance and volume, but some of it was mainly for volume. So if you think about uh, some of some of the uh, starts, the new starts in uh, in that part of the portfolio, namely hypersonics. Um, that is going to continue to grow over time. That will be dilutive to margins. And also um, uh, the, the classified program that we talked about uh, in the past, we're starting to see some volume growth there, uh, but uh, that will be dilutive in the future. So, you know, we see, um, you know, for the rest of the year with missiles and fire control being, uh, you know, a little north of 13% margin, so not, not – what we saw in the first quarter, you know, for the reasons I described. And we'll go to Rich Safran with Buckingham Research. Please go ahead. Thanks. Marilyn, Ken, Craig, uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 
Um, Ken, I guess I would just like to follow up on those comments that you just made about um, about uh, margins and uh, the bit of dilution I think you're seeing from the influx of new development programs. Now, you, you did mention that it was going to be dilutive going forward, but I'm also wondering, though, if that's pointing to future growth and margin expansion. And, you know, are there other elements, you know, everybody looks at margins as a sort of a surrogate for, uh, for cash. Are there other elements of cash that give you confidence uh, going forward? And as always, if you're seeing these, uh, this growth in, uh, um, in, with, with new programs, I'm wondering what that might imply for your long-term cash flow outlook. Yeah, th thanks, Rich. Uh, yeah, so we have had a uh, concerted effort uh, on uh, on our working capital, and um, uh, we, you did see some of the benefits of that this year. So we we feel good about uh, what we're doing to manage uh, to manage the balance sheet uh, from a working capital standpoint. So uh, we still we still feel good about. Uh, where where we're going in the future for uh, next year and the year after at uh, you know round round numbers about seven billion dollars uh, each in 2020 and 2021. We're also working uh, uh, the the international angle and uh, we should see some uh, potential advance payments in the future. Um, and uh, we do see some upside from from a from a margin standpoint uh, going forward. Just to add to that too, Ken, I mean, as we see these, these development programs, as they go through their longer cycle and get into production, we'll see margin improvement. We'll see margin well. expansion as well. Thank you, Marilyn. Yes. Our next question is from Ron Epstein with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Please go ahead. Yeah, hey, good morning. Good morning. Marilyn, Marilyn, you mentioned in your prepared remarks um, about hypersonics and, and what is going on there for, for the company. I understand a lot of that is classified, so you're limited what you can say. But can you give us a broader feel about, you know, how that market's developing and maybe more color on how it's developing for Lockheed? Sure. Thanks for the question, Ron. I, I guess the first thing I would say is that, you know, we've been investing in hypersonics for many, many years. And as a result of that, I think that's why we're, we're leading in this front end of, of being able to bring capability forward. In terms of how, it's, how the market is developing, and it's basically threat-driven. If you, if you look at what was in the National Defense Strategy, what's in the Missile Defense Review, what you're seeing of uh, our, our uh, near-peer competition with, with China and, and Russia, I mean, it's clearly a, a growing need for us to be able to not only address hypersonics, but counter hypersonics as well. And so we are investing in both of those areas. We're bringing capabilities forward in both of those areas. And as I expressed in my earlier remarks, uh, it's, it's across three of our four business areas. Um, of course, the fourth business area will be working on some of the communications elements of that as well. And so, so frankly, it's, it's an important investment area for us for many years as a corporation. And and as we collaborate across our business areas and across our corporation, I think we're bringing the best solutions forward to our customers. And next, we'll go to Doug Harnand with uh, Bernstein. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I wanted to switch over to F-35. And, and you know, you're seeing good growth there, but when you look at where the 2020 budget is that cuts numbers back to 78, and then on the other hand, you've got a letter from 103 House members wanting to raise that uh, to 102. And then we've got 
the issues around the Turkey order, and then maybe some risks around Italy and Canada. So uh, what I'm trying to understand is when you look at the plan that you have uh, for taking production rates up over the next few years, how important are these potential shifts up and down? How do you think through um, you know, where, where this could end up on the high end or on the lower end when you plan? So let me just start with that, and then, Ken, you can, you can add on to my comments. I guess I, I, the first thing I would say, Doug, is that we are, we are continuing to see increased opportunities for the F-35. There's strong international demand. Certainly the domestic demand with the U.S. services is strong. You, you know, the, the Department of Defense has been very clear that they're going to stay on their full procurement plan for that uh, jet. They don't have any intention to pull away from that at all, so we see that going forward. How they manage what they buy year to year, that's always been a challenge uh, as they look at what their overall needs are relative to the budgets that they have to work with. So I think that's going to continue, but what we're really seeing is the list of interest, interested countries is continuing to grow. And, and you probably heard uh, the, the Admiral Winter, who is the, the program executive officer, recently comment a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned Poland and Romania, which are among the others that we're well aware of having competitions and having expressed their interest in the program uh, going forward. So it's, there's continued interest. Even the existing partners are expanding their needs. Take Japan, for example. Uh, we're seeing a lot of other countries that will continue. So it is a, it's certainly an opportunity for us to, to uh, address a growing demand. We frankly have great capacity on this program. We've got facilities that in place that, it, that we're going to be in position to produce over 180 aircraft a year. We're prepared to do that. And uh, so we see, you know, a lot of opportunities uh, beyond the, uh, the current program of record, which is, something like 3,300 aircraft already, and, and it's growing. So I don't see a concern about, uh, about that. Well, certainly the government, the, the JPO will have to figure out what, you know, how they manage what aircraft they buy at what point in time uh, as countries look at their procurement decisions or as things change among some of the partners that we have. But uh, I think they man they're managing that risk quite well, and the, and the demand is very strong. Going to add yeah. to that, Ken? Yeah, the, the only thing I'd say, and it's just, you know, if you think about the, the countries you just, you described, Doug, um, you know, Turkey, you know, an, an important ally of ours, at least at least today, uh, is, I, if I remember this right, in the block buy, it's uh, eight, eight aircraft per, per, uh, per lot. Right now, uh, Canada's not even in, in those numbers. Uh, Italy is an, a, an important ally. I'm, uh, we're hopeful that uh, they do continue on the program, but you know, in, a, in the grand scheme of things, not a material uh, number of, of aircraft. And I, you know, I think the, the uh, frustrating piece for us is the, the United States Air Force, and we'll continue working um, with uh, with our customer and uh, with uh, representatives in the in the government uh, on what what's the right uh, path forward there, and we'll continue to drive um, the price of the airplane down. We see a path to uh, on LRIP 14, which is uh, will be ordered in 2020 and delivered in 2022. We'll be below 80 million dollars an aircraft for the A variant. Um, and we'll continue driving down sustainability costs to where we get uh, to $15,000 a flight hour uh, by 2025. We're, we're confident about uh, hitting those numbers. 
25,000. I'm sorry, 25,000, excuse me, by 2025. And next we go to George Shapiro with Shapiro Research. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, good morning. On the F, Ken, on the F-35, you clearly raised the margin on that program. Can you tell us where, uh, where, which block and where we might be on that? And then on the $50 million charge of a ground-based radar that you alluded to, uh, what was that, and have there been other charges on that program in the past? Thanks. You bet. Um, yes, George, you're right. On F-35, we did raise margins. Um, it was mainly uh, on uh, looking at uh, LRIP-10, uh, looking at uh, block buy, and on some of our sustainment uh, programs. And going forward, uh, we're, we're looking at steps uh, on some of our uh, other production programs, including LRIP-11, and we'll see how we're doing from a performance standpoint. So you've got that right from an F-35 perspective. So on the, uh, the radar program, that is out of our uh, RMS business. And, uh, you know, we've had some issues uh, from a um, software verification uh, standpoint and fixes, installation and checkout uh, and uh, integration and test efforts. Um, no, this was not our first uh, uh, write-off uh, on this program. Uh, going forward, though, we feel pretty good. And if you look at... Uh, some of the uh, things that we have to do, you know, if for, for the rest of this year, we'll be doing software ver verification, uh, integration and test completion will be done. We'll uh, deliver a secondary uh, array later this year, and that will ultimately get, to, get us to uh, delivering uh, um, a radar, the radar by the end of 2020. So going forward, we feel good about where we are on this program. Our next question is from Kai Von Rumer with Cowan & Company. Please go ahead. Thanks so much. So DOD is increasingly using classified uh, you know, orders to, to, to buy equipment uh, to enhance security. Can you give us a rough sense in terms of what percent of your revenues or your backlog is classified and maybe any color you might be willing to offer regarding, you know, in what areas of your business do you have more classified programs? Thanks. Hey, hey Kai, it's Ken. Um, you know, it, it's, it'll be hard for us to tell you uh, how much of that's in our backlog, but, you know, you should think of, uh, you know, you know, based on who we are, it's, 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 it's across our portfolio. You know, we have a strong presence in space. We have a strong presence in missiles and fire control. Um, but it goes without saying ADP, our skunk works, uh, has a strong presence doing uh, classified work. And, uh, you know, frankly, it's growing and it's an important piece of our portfolio. Next question is from Rajiv Lawani with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Rajiv. Ken, I wanted to just come back to the to the guide and, and the performance in Wanky. Obviously, a, a good start to the year. It seems like you're you're highlighting a good portion of the strength to be timing related. Can you just talk a bit more about uh, why that is? I mean, um, it seems like you're you're maybe expecting just a lot lower growth in the back half of the year. Are you being conservative? Are you concerned about budget? Just some more color there to get comfortable with the uh, the path ahead. 
You bet. So, um, yeah, so, you know, if you, if you go around the, the, the business, um, you know, and I'll talk to this as, you know, uh, our surprise and not so much year over year, but, you know, go looking at Aero, you know, strong performance, um, you know, mainly in F-35, uh, and, and, you know, looking at the back half of the year, it warranted taking uh, our guidance up mainly in aeronautics, mainly driven by F-35, but also, you know, back to Kai's question, you know, some of that growth we did see in, um, in, in ADP in our, in, our, in our classified world, which is dilutive. So that's why we only took our profit up um, the, the $10 million and we took our sales up uh, the $100 million. You know, what, what I would say is, you know, just recently coming from uh, aeronautics and looking at F-35, you know, on the whole, um, we, we have comfort about uh, the, the, the guidance that we're providing uh, on, on F-35 right now. You know, there may be potentially some upside. We'll see, we'll see that in the next couple quarters, but right now we feel pretty good about aeronautics. You know, I think I give, I've gave enough color on uh, missiles and fire control. And we do see uh, we do see strong growth there, but it, but in the back half of the year, it it, it is slower, um, and you know we'll address that as time goes on. Uh, from an RMS perspective, from a guidance standpoint, we did take our guidance up, driven by uh, mainly driven by radar programs, uh, and some to some extent Sikorsky. We are seeing stronger growth at Sikorsky. But I will, I will note, just based on helicopter deliveries this year on uh, the Blackhawk, and uh, there are, frankly, there are none for uh, MH60 uh, this year or CH53 this year. Uh, year over year, Sikorsky is still down in sales. And from a space standpoint, uh, you know, the, you know, we beginning of the year we saw them as flattish. We now see them growing, uh, you know, roughly two percent, and uh, and that's. In the new start for OPIR, GPS-3, and uh, space missile defense, but as you said, you know more of it in the front end than, than in the back end, and you know we'll we'll take a look at this again in the second quarter. Our next question is from Miles Walton with UBS Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. Um, Good morning. In in the uh, the back of the the press release from the risk section, I noticed you expanded the commentary around. Um, delays due to governmental policy, in particular congressional notification delays to Saudi and UAE for the first time. Uh, it's obviously not holding back your sales and bookings that look great, but I'm just curious, is that, are you seeing it um, or you're anticipating it, and is it both foreign military sales as well as direct commercial sales process? Hey, Miles, I'll, I'll, I'll take that as Ken. So, um, you know, we're not seeing it today, so it probably would be more uh, in the future. So pick uh, C-130Js for Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've been in conversations with the kingdom, you know, fr frankly, probably over the last two years. They have a desire to buy 23 uh, variants of the C-130J aircraft. Um, it still has not been approved uh, by, by the United States government. So, you know, we're, we're still, we're still, sort, still sort, sorting that Excuse me. It has been uh, approved by the United States government, but we're still sorting out, um, you know, when, when that can happen. Uh, so I, I think it's more anticipatory than uh, you know what we have seen in the in the past. Yeah, if I could just add on to that. I mean, we did get congressional notification and get through that some years ago, but to to 
Ken's point, it's been a number of years ago, and they've only bought two of the 25 they were authorized for. So we're in discussions with them. But if you think about, you know, some of the the risk of sanctions against some of the the munitions or something along that line, I mean, we we conform to the policies of the U.S. government. So any changes in quantity that they might purchase will will line up with U.S. policy. But as Ken said, we currently have orders on the books, and we're working to fill those orders, and we don't see any changes to that guidance right now. So it's just acknowledging to a stockholder that there is risk, but we're not seeing that risk materialize yet. Next question is from Rob Stallard with Vertical Research. Please go ahead. Uh, Thanks so much. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Um, On the F-35, you mentioned how the aftermarket had contributed in the first quarter. I was wondering what your expectation might be for F-35 support revenues this year and what that program could grow to over time. Thank you. Sure. Rob, hi. It's Ken. I'll take that. So, yeah, we do see um, sustainment's going to grow grow this year, and it'll grow grow double digits. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. And I do believe, you know, based on uh, conversations with, with the customer, we will continue to see growth um, in, in our sustainment. We'll continue to, to stand up bases uh, in order to support uh, the needs of um, having available aircraft out there. You'll see uh, spares and uh, 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 parts continue to grow. Uh, We've talked a lot about the modernization of the of F-35 program, so you'll start seeing uh, aircraft that are in the field that are deployed out in the field will uh, start to be uh, modernized. So, yeah, in the foreseeable future, we, we'll, we continue to see growth in uh, uh, the sustainment of the F-35 pro- program from a sales standpoint. And we'll go to Sheila Kayalu with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, good morning, and thank you. Great quarter. Just um, broader picture, going back to the growth question, the expectation of six to ten, sixty-eight percent top line growth for the year. You still grew an impressive mid-teens rate on an adjusted basis in the quarter. How do we think about the multi-year outlook in terms of growth, and maybe what's changed? Is are there any new program wins, any international wins, or is it a delta versus what you're seeing in outlays in the budget? Well, Sheila, thank you for the question. Let me just start by outlining for you, you know, the key areas of growth that we see, and then Ken can give some more color to that. I mean, first of all, I already mentioned uh, earlier about the growth on the F-35. We can consider that as a true growth engine for us for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future. In fact, if we just look at the international growth opportunities, uh, half, close to half of the orders over the next five years are going to be in the international marketplace. And as I mentioned, there are several more countries that are coming online that we didn't anticipate even when we looked at that a year ago. Uh, air and missile defense is a, a key growth for area for us with with PAC-3, FAD, with our Aegis uh, combat systems, with what we're doing in, with needs in, in Germany on what's called TLVS. But that area is a growth for us. Um, Sikorsky, we continue to see growth in the Sikorsky uh, line of business. We've got a lot of development programs, of course, that we are working on from the CH-53K to the combat rescue helicopter to the presidential helicopter, uh, you know, to, to also the opportunity on future vertical lifts. So that's a, a big opportunity for us. 
you know, this resurgence in our F-16. You know, we've, we're not only selling uh, new F-16s, we're upgrading F-16s, and we see more and more customers coming forth to um, purchase F-16s, and then there's a big potential opportunity in India. So we, as we look forward, there could be up to anywhere close to 400 opportunities on F-16s um, between those, among those countries that we see today. So big growth there. And then, of course, we want to continue with our, our growth on C-130, so our, you know, the multi-year on C-130, as well as opportunities in, in the Middle East and other, uh, other countries for the, for the C-130. Our, our um, space business and the, the areas of uh, space situational awareness and, and areas like that will continue to see growth. And then our radar systems, a lot of our sensors and opportunities. And then Ken has gone at great length talking to you a little bit about what we're doing in the missiles and fire control. The real key is if you look at our backlog, a record backlog uh, of over $130 billion, I mean, that sets us up well, you know, just that alone of what we've already booked the business uh, sets us up very well for the next few years. And then it should give you great confidence in that growth for that and then the opportunities we're seeing that aren't even yet in that backlog. Ken, you hit every point I was going to make, so thank you. Okay. Next, we'll go to Noah Papanek with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hey. Hey, everyone. Hi. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to follow on that because the, the bookings and the uh, revenue projections, both from you and, and the consensus, don't are pretty far from squaring up. So, you know, 2017 book to bill 1.2, 2018 1.45, the quarter 1.2. I think you've said the second quarter of this year would be your strongest of the year. I think you've said a lot of the 2018 booking strength isn't actually falling in 2019. Um, and, you know, the bookings are very predictive of, of the revenue historically in the business. Why, what am I missing in, you know, not believing the, the guidance that has that, the, the, the top line organic revenue growth rate decelerating to 5 to 6% the rest of the year, the consensus 2020, 2021, 5 to 6%. Um, why shouldn't it look a lot more like the first quarter, obviously X the week, but in the double digits, which, you know, looks a lot more like the booking strength has been for a while here? Yeah, hey, no, it's Ken. I'll, I'll take that. So, you know, if you, if you go back, um, go back to last year. So, you know, our, our bookings last year, you know, were almost seventy-nine billion dollars. You know, think about the the uh, the block buy of uh, twenty-three billion dollars uh, of bookings last year. The uh, the omnibus um, uh, work that we got for uh, 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 36 aircraft, the economic uh, order quantity bookings we got. So th they're all, that's great. They're all in backlog. The issue is uh, from a capacity standpoint uh, for, for where we are with the F-35, a lot of those orders were not just uh, LRIP 12, but for LRIP 13 and 14. And then the front end of uh, procurement for, for, for those, uh, for those um, orders. And, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take us a while, a while to, to have that convert to uh, cost and to sales. And the same thing, you know, for the second quarter, we're going to uh, hopefully get the block by um, um, 
definitization in the second quarter, which will you know be a sizable order in the uh, in, in in this quarter. But from a sales standpoint, that's not going to happen for the next couple years. And as and as we highlighted in my remarks, Ken, just to add to that, we did book you know the three-year award on AWE, which. You know, typically in the past we haven't been doing those at a three-year tranche, and so that was a good, solid, uh, unexpected award to get three years under a belt in the first quarter as well. Right. Next question is from Hunter K. with Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hey, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to discuss the Orion program for a minute. Uh, it feels like this, this human space exploration initiative has had a lot of starts and stops over the last 15 years or so, and you guys have noticed some top-line strength there now for two quarters in a row. Um, the question is, what is the proving point on this program where it kind of becomes too hard to cancel ahead of the next period of budget pressure? I'll give you a top-level story on that and then let, you know, Ken, if you have some additional to add to it. But, I mean, if you look at the focus that this administration has on being uh, leading in space, it, it, is, it has become a much more, not only the exploration side, which is what Orion is focused on, but on from a contested domain in terms of, of the challenges that we see from our adversaries in space. Um, you know, over 70 countries have things up there in space. We've got space fence. We've got all of the, you know, satellites on the, on the uh, national security side that we're doing, the weather satellites. We have a range of, of capabilities across our space business. Then when you look at the exploration side, there is a big desire for us to get to the moon and beyond. And Orion is, you know, as the, the uh, next space craft that will take astronauts to the moon and, and Mars and beyond to to Mars and beyond. I mean, that's our that's that's what the uh, NASA has been investing in, what the U.S. government's been investing in. It's held up well, budget after budget, because there's a, a strong bipartisan support for investing in that exploration um, opportunity. And couple that with a lot that you have heard from from uh, the administration and from NASA on where we want to go in in space exploration. Um, yeah, I, there's a strong momentum behind it. Uh, so I think that's going to continue. Yeah, I think the only other thing I'd add is just think where Orion is, you know, from an uh, exploratory mission one and two. Uh, you know, if you look at exploratory mission one, the, the, the crew module's complete. They're moving into testing. They're going to mate the crew in the service module soon. They're going to, in the summer, that's going to get transported uh, to uh, NASA's Plumbrook Station, which is in Ohio, for integrated uh, environmental testing and the launch on the SLS is driven for 2020 and EM2, the exploratory uh, mission two is right behind it in 2022. So there is enough momentum on this program to, to that it's alive and well and, and well thought of. Our next question is from John Ravid with the city. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks everyone. Good morning. Good morning, John. Um, Marilyn and Ken, uh, sort of bigger picture question here in terms of execution and investing. And clearly, there's big growth and a lot of opportunities to come. Um, so sort of part A is how are you executing on this big growth and aligning incentives just as you encounter some, some, you know, some, some, some charges here and there? And then also how are you investing at opportunities specifically? How do you choose between what opportunities you, are, you, you pursue and which opportunities you do not pursue? 
That's a great question, John, and it, it is a focus that we always have on performance and execution as a as a company. And I would say, you know, just looking at it holistically, we're performing extremely well. I mean, we do track very closely our performance and support of our customers on on our programs on a regular basis. And and um, you know, we we set a high bar, obviously, that even tighter. Uh, requirements on our cost schedule quality technical performance than even our customers do so that we get early warnings that things are going off track or whatever. And so uh, we're performing well. We also keep a very strong focus on our suppliers because our suppliers play a, a key role in our overall performance. Somewhere between 60 to 70 percent of our revenue is in the supply base. So we rely heavily on those enterprises to perform in what they're doing uh, as well. And we've got a strong subcontract management team that is working closely with them to make sure that they meet their uh, commitments on performance so that we likewise will meet our commitments. Now, on occasion, yes, we do have issues. But, you know, when you're in a business like ours where you've got a portfolio of programs that are well into production, performing well, but you have new starts, very complex, high, high technology work that we do as a technology company, Startup. There are times where we will have challenges, not just in in the development and complexity of the product, but also in in the supply base and support of that. We work through those. We put we have uh, well oiled uh, processes in our company with program assist teams and others that go in and and work very closely uh, at the front end on programs to to uh, to address that. In terms of aligning incentives, I mean, absolutely, our performance is is uh, aligned. Uh, our performance is key to us performing uh, and, uh, and achieving incentives for our teams. So I think all of that is well lined up. It's a long, um, long-standing processes that we have in the company. I think that's why you see that uh, at, at, uh, across the board that we perform well as a company and we meet our commitments. Again, we're not perfect. We have issues that arise. But when there are issues, we address them. We put the right resources around it to go address them. And we never walk away from our customer on issues when we have them. The second point on investing, we do look where our priorities ought to be. And it comes with first aligning with the priorities of our customers. So we are constantly working closely with understanding where they're focused, what, you know, if it's, whether it's hypersonics, directed energy, whether it's what they need in advanced uh, aircraft, where, where they're looking at um, sensors and, and, and uh, as I mentioned, the space domain, all those areas, we are in constant uh, contact with our customers, understanding their priorities and aligning with our priorities. And if you look at our portfolio, how well it's been supported in the Department of Defense budget, in the government budgets that we have in the U.S., as well as our growth in our international uh, marketplace of how we perform well in the international market with somewhere around 28 to 29% of our revenue is outside of the U.S., and then the absolute value of that is growing. I, I think we're well aligned in investing in the right things so that we can bring our best solutions to our customers. John, this is Greg. Uh, I think we've come up on top of the hour here, so I'll turn it back over to Marilyn for final thoughts. Well, thank you, Greg. And let me just conclude the call today at the same place that I began the call, and that is by thanking the employees of Lockheed Martin for their contributions and dedication. The company has performed with excellence, and we continue to be well-positioned to deliver growth and long-term value to our customers and our shareholders. 
So thank you again to all of you that joined us on the call today, and we look forward to speaking with you at our next earnings call in July. John, that concludes our call for today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, you may now disconnect. <laughs>